Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Real Madrid review episode. Apologies for not getting a Lecce review slash Real Madrid preview pod out for you. I was a little bit under the weather over the weekend, and to be honest, the Saturday-Tuesday combination is probably the worst (laughs) combination for my schedule when you have two little kids. Any parents out there will know that your weekends are pretty jammed up uh, with things like swim class. But anyways, we're back now to talk about the match on Tuesday, and I am joined by a guest to help me out with this review. He's the perfect guest, actually, because he's a Napoli fan, but he also happened to live in Spain when he was younger, so he is a bit of an expert on Real Madrid. Vinny Sarecci, welcome to Forza Napoli. Uh, thanks so much, Joe. Big fan. Uh, really appreciate you doing this. And uh, yeah, great to, great to be on. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on. We've been chatting for a little while. I mean, I think you sent one of the voice notes when we did the uh, Scudetto celebration pods uh, last year. So it's good to have a longer chat with you now. So let's get right into this match because there is a ton to talk about from this one. As I'm sure everyone is already aware, Napoli lost 3-2 to Real Madrid. It was our first home defeat in the group stage of a Champions League since, I think, November of 2017, when uh, I think we lost to Manchester City back then. I was surprised at how long, something like 13 games since we lost a home match in the group stage of the Champions League. But in a way, this didn't feel like a typical loss, and that's where I want to start, Vinny. A lot of Napoli fans are actually feeling quite good about this performance even though we didn't get any points out of it. Yeah, I'm not feeling bad at all. They played to Madrid's level versus playing down to, you know, when they play like a, a Lecce or someone else. The first kind of 10, 15 minutes, Madrid came out hot, but 
Napoli stayed in the game and really took it to them, especially when they were losing. I love how they responded to, to all the goals. And combined with the fact that Braga beat Berlin, we're still kind of in the driver's seat to qualify. There's, there's definitely no alarm bells that needs to be ringing. You were kind enough to write a piece for the website. And the basic premise was that given Real Madrid's history in the group stage, as well as some other factors like injuries and things like that, Napoli just might take a point or even three points from this match, and we very nearly did. I mean, the XG for the match was 1.9 to 1.4 on FBref for Napoli, and I posted this on X as well, but the key statistical categories were pretty much equal. Now, I won't list all of them, but just to give uh, a sense, give people, the listeners, an idea for those who may not be on social media, possession was 50-50. They had 19 shot attempts to our 17, but we hit the target seven times. They only hit it four times. Both teams had nine corner kicks. This one's crazy. Real Madrid completed 470 passes and we completed 460. So, you know, a 10 pass difference over the course of 90 minutes is pretty crazy. They recovered 33 balls. We recovered 30 and we outran them by about three kilometers, 111.7 to 108.7. So for me, this performance was confirmation that the victories against Udinese and Lecce were not merely a consequence of playing against the weaker opposition. I think everyone can agree that Real Madrid are miles ahead of those clubs. You could even say that Real Madrid are even better in this specific competition. Although to your point in the article, you know, in the group stage, maybe they're more prone to dropping points, let's say, than they are in La Liga, given their history. They've won the competition five times in the last 10 years, which is incredible. So I think Garcia was right in saying post-match that a draw probably would have been a fair result. We only lost this match, I think, because of a couple of episodes, as they say in Italy, right? So let's talk about some of those episodes, which is really just a fancy way to say let's review the goals. (laughs) Now, I'm not going to go in chronological order here. I want to start with Real Madrid's first goal. So we were already up 1-0 at this point. This was the equalizer. Vinny, this was the definition of an episode because it was the direct result of an error from someone who we would never expect to make an error like that, at least in Giovanni Di Lorenzo. Yeah, it is a bad pass. And Di Lorenzo put his hand up and he knew he was at fault. But you got to give credit to Bellingham because he read the pass and he's a big boy. He got his foot in there, stayed on his feet and was able to carry the ball forward and play it to Vinicius. That's a really difficult play by Bellingham, who read the pass. He almost baited Di Lorenzo into making that pass when he probably should have kicked it long, but that's how Napoli played today. They didn't just sit back and defend and clear the ball. They tried to play out the back. They tried to take it to Madrid, and it's not going to work every time, and this is what happens when it doesn't, but you can't fault them for what they were trying to do. Di Lorenzo did the pre-match press conference with Rudy Garcia, and he was actually asked about his consistent play. And he kind of humbly responded that he also makes mistakes. And then sure enough, he makes this mistake in this match. But as you're kind of alluding to there, I actually don't think this mistake was as bad as it appears in the sense that I think against most teams, that ball does get to Lobotka. However, when you're playing against arguably the best player in the world at the moment, you can get punished for making a pass like that. Clearly, neither Di Lorenzo nor Lobotka thought Bellingham would get to that ball. If Lobotka thought he could get to the ball, he would have attacked the ball. Instead, he seemed to be kind of waiting for it to roll across the face of his body so he can turn in the middle of the park. And Jude is, to your point, such a big player, and he read the play so well, he anticipated that pass. 
that he was able to make that interception. Even him, like he was full stretch to intercept that pass. So like, I think there are a few players in the world probably that make that play that Bellingham did. So I'm not too super critical of Di Lorenzo. Yes, it was a mistake and he rightfully gets some blame for that. But I agree, we have to give Bellingham credit for the play that he made there. And then also the finish from Vinny, or even before the finish, that touch that he made to control the ball, he only took two touches on this goal. One was to control the pass, which he did with the outside of his right boot. And he placed the ball so perfectly that he was just with that first touch ready to shoot. And then he had a small window to shoot in and he put it in the window. But that's why he's like the star on a team of stars. Vinicius has the quality that if you give him a chance like that, he is going to take it. And I posted this on X as well that one of the concerns I have with. Napoli so far this season is that even lately when we've been playing better against Udinese and Lecce, it still feels like our opponents are creating chances a little bit too easily. They're they're getting through that midfield. The difference is when you're playing against world-class players like Vinicius and like Bellingham, they're going to take those chances, right, and punish you for them. So a little bit of a combination for me between a really dangerous pass, a mistake at the back, and just super high quality finishing from Real Madrid. Now, Garcia didn't fault Di Lorenzo too much after the match. He basically said, look, mistakes happen as part of the game. And I mean, it is kind of hard to complain too much about a mistake leading to a goal when our first goal was the result of some pretty atrocious defending from or goalkeeping from Kepa. Yeah, thank God he's not our goalkeeper. You know, we were linked with him a few years ago and Everyone knows coming in, he's not the starter. He was there to replace Courtois. He's good at saving penalties, but he completely whiffed on this, and no one else is at fault here, on Madrid at least. I do recall a number of Napoli fans wanted us to sign Kepa as the replacement for Alex Meret, though I suspect some of them still would. (laughs) We'll come back to Meret a little bit later because we're going to talk about the winning goal for Real Madrid, but I think we also need to talk a little bit here, or this is a good spot to talk about Natan and Ostegaard. Even with the Kepa mistake, there was still plenty of work to be done there. Natan perhaps unknowingly won the first ball after Kepa's whiff. It looked like it maybe it came off of his shoulder or his back. I don't even know if he got ahead on the ball, but the ball ends up bouncing off of the crossbar. Ostegaard rises up and wins the header to score his second goal in as many matches. Vinny, these two young center backs were fantastic now for the third straight match, and they're doing it at either end of the pitch. Yeah, Golstegard, he, he can't seem to get off the score sheet. He got his first Serie A, now his first in the Champions League. Uh, and Natan looked so mature. He, you know, like you said, a bit fortunate that Kepa whiffs, hits his shoulder, but he's rising up there. Ostegard is completely big brother in Carvajal, jumping right over him. And there's not that big of a height difference there, too. He got up there and definitely a, a Total hustle goal, you know. The other team makes a mistake, and Napoli made them pay. I love that Golstegard. <laughs> uh, you know, Ostegard will probably be upset that Real Madrid won this match ultimately more so than you know being happy that he scored. But it was a pretty good you know, four or five days for him. On Saturday, he scored his first ever Serie A goal, and then on Tuesday, he scored his second ever Champions League goal. Of course, he scored in the Champions League last year. He also had a goal probably a little harshly taken away from him against Liverpool. So maybe this was kind of like the uh, retribution for him. All three of the goals that he has scored in recent years were with headers because he's such a beast in the air. 
Nathan is probably less of an attacking threat, but he has been just so solid at the back. Napoli blocked nine shots in this match. Nathan and Ostegard combined for eight out of those nine blocked shots, and Nathan alone blocked five of them. And you can start to see now his confidence is growing. In the previous two matches, he was playing very safe. He didn't really take any chances, which is totally fine. That's all we want him to do is, you know, be solid at the back. But in this match, we saw him play some long balls. We saw him carrying the ball a little bit more. There was that one run where he made, <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh because I think he wanted Cavada to play the ball down the line to him and the pass never came and he threw up his arms. He was so upset. And, you know, I think that's also an indication of his personality, which is starting to come through now as he's getting more comfortable on the pitch. And he seems to have a really likable personality. Like if you look at how he celebrates when his team scores, whether it was, uh, I can't remember who scored the equalizer against General Politano, was it? I think it was the Politano volley when him and Lindstrom were on the touchline and they started jumping up and down. When Ostegard scored this goal, he turned and started yelling and jumping. And, you know, he seems to celebrate his teammates' goals as if he scored them himself. And then the other thing I love is that he seems like he can't bear to watch penalty kicks. <laughs> We've been yeah, that was funny. He was, he was turning away. He had to <laughs> yeah, found he, out after we did uh, seeing that. But yeah, he looks like he looks really confident on the ball. And like you said, I love that play where he overlapped Kavara and he didn't get it to him. I was watching at a bar with my friend Dan Loseco and he's like, why didn't he pass it to him? I was like, Kavara is allowed to not pass it to our center back down the flank. That's, that's a fine play by Kavara. He does not have to give it there, but that <laughs> yeah. really did want the ball. He wanted to go forward and he looks good going forward after we were down three, two, he wanted to get back in the match and he did not look like a guy playing his you know, fourth game in Europe. He looks like a, you know, a mature defender who I would say at this point has to be picked ahead of Juan Jesus. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we're going to get to that in just a second, but I just want to shout out the uh, Napoli zone account on X as well. And also I'm going to call out my friends at Calcio Napoli Venti Quattro for kind of stealing his tweet there or his post and, and not giving him the credit, but he posted some of Nathan's stats in this match, which just showed how dominant he was. He was first in touches with 70. He was first in long balls with four, first in defensive actions with 10. I mentioned the block shots. He was first with five, first in fewest dribbles conceded with zero. So nobody dribbled past him and first in efficiency in duels at 80%. Those are incredible stats on their own, let alone when you consider that he's playing against a front three of Vinicius, Rodrigo and Bellingham. So yeah, out of this world performance from Nathan, hopefully this just carries on and he truly is the replacement for Kim, which leads me to my next question which is given how well Ostegard and Nathan have been playing or have played in the last three matches, would you keep them as the starting center back pairing even after Juan Jesus and Amir Rachmani return from injury? No question, Nathan over Juan Jesus, but Rachmani is the better right side central defender than Ostegard. You can't entirely blame him for the Bellingham goal, but the ball did go through his legs and the goals were coming from down his side. He's a great player who brings great energy. They can use him, you know, as a Labatka replacement at the end of games too. And I'm glad to see him getting minutes, but he doesn't stand to compare it really to Rafmani. But Natan, on the other hand, looks great. And he, he pretty much has to be the, the left-sided central defender going forward. Yeah, I could not agree more with that. For me, our best center back pairing is still Natan and Rachmani. 
I've seen a lot of fans online kind of hating on Rachmani, and I just don't know where that is coming from. I think maybe it's because they don't view him as kind of the leader of the center back pairing. He's always had sort of a great player beside him, whether it was Koulibaly and then him and Jay. But I think he's been really solid and really consistent for us. Yes, he's not going to score as many goals, let's say, as Ostegaard would. But I think Rachmani is a far better defender. Ostegaard looks a little bit shaky at the back still, especially on the ball. There were a couple of plays where he just kind of nervously cleared the ball out or played a long ball or played it straight out to touch and gave possession right back to them. Now, he is still only 23 years old. I think that's easy to forget sometimes as well. So he has a lot of time to develop and improve his game defensively. But in the meantime, I think Rachmani is definitely the guy that needs to be starting. But what I would say is that I think Ostegaard has shown me enough in these last few matches to feel confident that we can play him more regularly because, you know, Rachmani has had a couple of injuries over the the past few seasons now, usually muscular in nature. So this just gives us that added bit of flexibility that we can balance out the minutes a little bit more, which helps with Ostegaard's development. It helps with his confidence. It keeps him playing while also allowing Rachmani to stay fit for sort of the more important matches, let's say, or the, the bigger contest, whether it's in the league or in the Champions League. Let's jump now to the match winner. Like I said, I'm kind of going all over the map in terms of the goals, but I want to go to the third Real Madrid goal because that was another one of these episodes. Real Madrid won a corner kick in the 78th minute. Luka Modric crossed the ball into the area. Ostegaard had it clear, but only as far as Federico Valverde, just outside the area. He controlled the ball beautifully. I think that was overlooked because everyone was focused just on the power behind the shot, but his first touch just cushioned the ball down to set himself up for the shot. He lets a rocket go <laughs> towards the goal, slams off the bar, bounces off the back of Meret, and ends up in the back of the goal. Vinny, do you blame Meret for the goal, or do we just have to say that this was just a rocket of a shot and an unlucky bounce off the bar? Listen, I've, I'm not a Meret hater, but I'm also not the biggest Meret fan. There's absolutely nothing he could do here. It takes a deflection off Oliveira, hits the crossbar, hits his back, and goes in. You can't fault him at all for that. He's been solid this year. He hasn't had the howlers. He's not going to come up with incredible, you know, Courtois-type saves, but he's played solid. He played pretty solid today. He made the saves he should have, and there was nothing he could have done on this goal or the other two. If anything, the team looked a little tired coming up to defend after that corner, including Oliveira, who was subbed off in the 87th minute. Maybe, you know, a fresher pair of legs. Mario Re is sprinting up to block that shot. But no, you got to give your hats off to Valverde. He's kind of like a hockey player who just has a, a slap shot and you hit it into traffic and anything can happen in front of net. And he hit it a, a thousand miles per hour and it just happened to go in. You got to take your hat off to him. But we, we haven't talked about the decision to award the corner where it looked like Rudiger fouled Oliveira right before. And I was still complaining about the corner even being awarded when that goal happened. But you have to defend after that, regardless of a, a decision. Yeah, I'm going to come back to that in just a second. But let me touch on, give you my thoughts on the Meret situation, which is pretty similar to yours. And then I also want to touch on the substitution since you brought it up. You know, Meret is one of those players that fans seem to have sort of split opinions on, similar to how Lozano was. In fact, with Lozano gone, I think Meret is now being even more <laughs> part of this debate of whether we want him or don't want him. I've always been a defender of his. I don't think he deserves as much of the hate as he does get. 
people complain that he makes too many errors when in fact I don't think he makes any more errors than even the best goalkeepers in the league. Even Mike Magnon makes the occasional or allows the uh, the occasional weak goal. And by the way, Magnon is injured far more than Meret is. That said, and you kind of touched on this as well, Magnon also makes some pretty ridiculous saves, which I think is the main criticism of Meret. He doesn't seem to do that so often, right? Like, I rarely blame him for the goals we concede, but I do sometimes wonder whether a keeper like Magnon or Courtois, as you mentioned, would have made sort of a miraculous save that would have prevented the goal from happening. And Meret just doesn't seem to give you that that often. Perhaps we could say the same thing of this goal, though personally, I don't even think to your point that even the best goalkeepers in the world would have stopped this shot. Now, some people might disagree with me on that, and that's fine, but with the pace of that shot, and you mentioned the deflection off Olivetta, he has a split second to react to that deflection. You know, people are posting like the slow motion video and saying, How does he not save this? And it's like, Okay, but real life doesn't happen in slow motion. Yeah, it looks a lot easier to make that save in slow when you're posting a slow motion replay. So, I still don't, you know, really hold him too much to account on that goal. You mentioned the players being tired. So let's get your thoughts on that because Garcia made, he used all five of his substitutions. I think it was around the 70th minute he replaced Politano with Elmas. And then uh, he brought Raspadori on in the 74th minute. I want to say it was Zielinski that came off. I don't recall off the top of my head. And then he didn't make his final substitutions until the 87th minute. This goal happened, I think it was in the 78th minute, so almost 10 minutes after the goal when we were trailing. Do you think he just waited too long? I know this is, uh, you know, my friend Anna has been hammering this point home with me (laughs) that Garcia should have made these changes sooner. Yeah, we could all play Monday morning quarterback, but I think definitely he should have made some of the changes sooner. And I think Madrid looked more just prepared for the game on a coaching standpoint. You know, Madrid's one loss this year was 3-1 to Atletico Madrid, and all the goals were scored by headers. And Ozyman outjumped Rudiger every time. And Mario Rui has great crosses into Ozyman, so I would have loved to see maybe him even start the game. I get that Oliver is the more physical left back, but I think the strategy should have been more get the ball in the box to Ozyman because Rudiger marked him pretty well when the ball was played to his feet and his back was to goal. But in the air, Ozyman won every ball and was looking great. So yeah, I think Mario Rui, if you're going to play him, you know, bring him on at 60 minutes. You know, don't give him four minutes. And I think I would have liked to see, while well, Politano played great and was just tearing up Camavinga, I don't think Elmas should have been the replacement for him. I would have liked to see, almost like the Lozano replacement last year, someone faster to go, like a right-footed player to go faster, like Lindstrom, I thought would have made sense there. But, you know, it's tough to question Garcia because the team played all in all, not, not poorly, but those were the subs seemed late and the, the team did seem a bit tired. Yeah, we're still not quite sure what role Lindstrom's going to play. I, like, I'm willing to kind of wait a little bit because we were all kind of concluding that, you know, Nathan must stink if he hasn't played yet. And then he finally gets a play and it turns out, hey, he really is or could be the Kim replacement. Maybe the same's true of Lindstrom. I also wonder with Elmas if he was harmed a little bit by not having much playing time of late and then he's just chucked into this situation, which is a bit of a high pressure. I know personally I prefer him coming off the bench, but he hasn't played much. Like we played Gianluca Gaetano against Lecce, which I'm sure there, you know, there were valid reasons for that, making sure everybody feels involved. He ends up scoring, so there's there's lots of positives there. But Elmas came into this match kind of cold. 
You mentioned Mario Rui, his agent, Mario Giuffredi, had a whole lot to say on the radio the other day. I don't know who's even allowing these guys at this point to keep going on the radio because he was really, really critical of both the club and Garcia for not playing Mario Rui more. Personally, I get it. He's standing up for his client or whatever, but I haven't been particularly impressed with either of our left backs so far this season. I mean, Mario Rui was very good against Udinese, fine, but prior to that, he hadn't really done a whole lot. You know, he missed a big chunk of the summer training because he had an injury that I think he suffered against Spal. So, but yeah, I mean, just generally, you think to yourself, like, how much can a player do if he's coming on in the 87th minute, even if you're expecting five minutes of stoppage time? That really isn't that much time to make an impact. So, I get not making those changes before we conceded because we were playing really well. We were controlling the play. We were passing the ball nicely. And like, how often do you see Real Madrid of all teams time wasting, right? We saw Kepa get a yellow card for time wasting. We saw them just kicking the ball downfield to get rid of it, to relieve the pressure, kicking the ball straight out to touch. So we were playing really well. And I can understand why the substitutions didn't happen before they went ahead. But after they scored that third goal, at that point, why not just make those changes then and try to give those players a little bit more time to make an impact? And a part of me, I guess, say the skeptic in me, kind of wonders if for Garcia, he's so concerned about the image that he'd rather play it safe and lose three to two than take a risk and gamble and end up conceding another goal or a fifth goal, let's say, and lose four two or five two. I don't know if that's just me. And then the other thing is, personally, and I understand why he did it, given all the drama we had over the last week or so, but I do not like this 4-4-2 with Osimhen and Simeone together. What seems to work for us when we need to score a goal is the 4-2-3-1 with Raspadori playing behind the striker as a number 10, but that requires you to replace Osimhen with Simeone and not play them together. And we saw, you know, there was this whole drama with Osimhen and the club and everything else kind of started with Osimhen calling out Garcia for not playing him together in the 4-4-2 in the Bologna match. So I wonder if, you know, this was, you know, Osimhen posted this statement defending the fans and all that. So maybe that was just a response. He's showing his, his loyalty to Osimhen. Let's go back now to the foul that wasn't called by uh, Rudiger on Oliveira in the buildup to the goal. I mean, we can debate whether that was actually a foul. If you look at Rudiger's reaction, it looked like he even thought it was a foul because he kind of, you know, Oliveira slammed into the into the advertising board and Rudiger kind of went up to him to make sure he was okay. So I was like, hey, it looks like Rudiger thought there was a foul there. But even before that, like right before that, Real Madrid had another corner kick that I'm not sure should have been a corner kick either. It looked like the ball, it was crossed into the area. It looked like it came off of Yosulu last. And they were given a corner kick there too. And that kind of led to the second corner kick, which led to the goal. Now, I hesitate to be too critical of that because as Garcia said after the match, if he complains about the corner kick, then surely Carlo Ancelotti will complain about the penalty kick that we were awarded. So let's move on to the goal. Vinny, I actually do think we were pretty fortunate to get the penalty kick there. What do you think? That's one of the ones you always say, you know, put yourself in the opposing team's shoes. And I would be throwing the, the TV if that's called on us. You know, it was a pretty bad week for Nacho. He got a three-match suspension for a horrible tackle over the weekend. And now he got this rather unlucky call. The only thing that 
is kind of why I, I saw they made it is the ball hits his leg and then hits his arm, but his arms are coming forward. It wasn't like they were, he wasn't sliding to keep balance. And I don't know how this works in the letter of the law, but if it didn't hit his arm, it was going towards Kavara. You know, it wasn't one of those penalties where someone's away from goal or a wayward cross. But yeah, this was, this was harsh. This was harsh for Nacho. Good pressure. OZ men working really hard. So it was at a point in the game where Napoli was fighting back. And I think they did deserve to score. And they were putting that pressure on Madrid. And similar to Valverde's goal, you get the ball in the box, that might happen. Same thing with OZ men. You get OZ men and Kavara in the box and you can win a penalty. But yeah, if that's called the other way, everyone's furious and understandably uh, Madrid are upset with the call. Yeah, that's something I've been kind of grappling with because I was under the impression that the rule was if the ball comes off of a legal part of the body before it hits the hand, then it's not considered a handball. But I guess maybe to your point, the way the, the circumstances were that he just kind of kicked the ball and then his hand was way out there and I guess they determined, I mean, they would know the rules. I, I don't as, as clearly as these guys do. Although, I mean, if we <laughs> if you were to ask uh, Liverpool fans about the officials knowing the rules, I think they would have a, a different opinion on, you know, looking at the VAR review in that match. There were some interesting things that are worth noting in terms of the penalty kick itself. The first was that, once again, Osimhen did not take it, and Garcia continues to maintain that he has a list of shooters. So Osimhen is the preferred penalty shooter which means if he's not taking it, it means, you know, the players also still have the freedom to say if they're not comfortable because you don't want a player who's nervous or, you know, picked up an injury or something taking a penalty kick just because they're top of the list. They still have the option to pass it on to the next guy on the list. And presumably that's Piotr Zielinski because he's taken the last couple of shots now. Zilu's shot was perfectly placed off the upright and in his shot against Lecce was side netting so again unstoppable penalty kicks but you think you know I'm a little bit nervous also at the same time is he cutting it a little bit too close with these takes because sure inside the post and into the back of the goal is a perfect finish but a few inches to the left and it's a horrible penalty kick yeah but two inches to the right and Kepa saves it Kepa's specialty is he's a great penalty stopper he's not good in the air you know punching balls away He's overall a pretty lousy keeper, but penalties are his specialty. So I was incredibly nervous. First off, you know, you see the VAR review and you're thinking, who's even going to take this penalty, right? And I agree. I saw Tute Mercato was reporting that Ozyman's passing these opportunities up. It's not the coaching decision. Kappa guessed right. He just placed it perfectly unstoppable in the, in the bottom left. So big sigh of relief because it's a total different game if he misses that and Napoli have to keep chasing. It's, it's a little disheartening, but... Well done, Zilu, stepping up and burying that. No, absolutely. And some shrewd Napoli fans out there, including our friend Vincenzo Bertillo, is happy to point out that Gabri Vega still has zero contributions, goal contributions for the uh, Saudi team that he joined. So it's turning out that Zulinski's staying was actually a good decision, although there's still no renewal on his contract either. I think the last that I heard, it was the president of the Polish Football Association is a very outspoken guy. He loves to comment on players from his country. And I think what he said recently in the media was that Zilu wants a three-year contract extension and the club is offering him two years. So we'll see what can happen there. But so far, he's off to a really great start to the season. We'll see if he can continue to do that because Zilu does tend to start the season really well and then suddenly he disappears. He's not the most consistent. So we'll see if he can keep that up. Let's move on to the final goal, which 
not in order, but the this is the second Real Madrid goal, the one that gave them the 2-1 lead, which is probably the one that was the least of a quote-unquote episode of the three goals. This was really just a ridiculous play from Bellingham. I guess you can say Camavinga squared to him in the midfield. He was dropping really deep at that point to receive the ball, turns on the afterburners, dribbles into the area, gets past a couple of players and slots the ball into the top, I guess, top corner, bottom corner, right side of the goal. What did you make of Bellingham's play on this goal? Yeah, this was a great run. Just no one wanted to step up and either Ostegaard didn't want to, you know, come out and get out of shape. And I don't blame him for dropping there. You don't expect a player to receive the ball 45 yards from goal and go all the way to score. But Anguiza, I think he's got to take him out from behind. I don't, I think he played it with a little too much respect for Bellingham. You know, he's 20 years old. He's a global phenomenon. But I think at that point in the game, you got to just take the yellow card and slide right through his back. Labaka maybe could have got there as well, but it looked like way too much respect for him as a superstar. Like, oh, I don't want to touch him. He also got a little bit lucky. I don't, it does, it is unfortunate the ball bounced through Ostegaard's legs, but that wasn't as bad as defending as it could have been. As someone who plays as a defender at nowhere near the, the level of these guys, but, you know, pretends to play well, I can tell you that it's really crappy when you're a defender and you make a tackle and you get the ball and it takes like a deflection or ricochet and ends up back on the forward's foot because you kind of did the right thing and they still somehow end up with the ball. And that's kind of what happened here. When I was looking at this goal, one of the things that I thought was you know, I wonder if part of our challenges at the moment with the midfield that still hasn't been sort of perfectly tuned is the fact that it seems like Garcia, and Garcia's talked about this a couple times as well, that it seems like he wants all his midfielders to be able to do everything. Now, Zielinski is quite clearly still the attacking midfielder. So to me, that means he really wants Lobotka and Angisa to be able to do the same things. And I wonder if they just got a little bit crossed up here, whereas under Spalletti, they had distinct roles, right? Like Lobo was very clearly the deep lying playmaker. So he was always going to be sitting deeper. And Gisa was your box to box and Zielinski was your attacking midfielder. Because it's not the first time that we've seen this giant hole open up in our midfield, right? Now, I should also point out that um, Corey shared a really interesting tactical analysis that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did, of all people, for UEFA. It was kind of like a three takeaways type piece for UEFA. And one thing that he noted in his analysis, which is always really interesting anytime you see you know, a coach's perspective on how a team plays, because they think differently, obviously, from a tactical perspective. And what he pointed out was the amount of movement by all of Real Madrid's midfielders, whether that was Jude, who was playing kind of, you know, on paper, he's like a trequartista, he's a sitting as a number 10 just behind the two strikers. But he really has the freedom to go everywhere. He was popping up on the sidelines. He was dropping really deep, even to help defend. He was attacking. That's really difficult to mark. And then when you combine that with the movement of Tony Cruz and Valverde in the midfield, I think that was really difficult for our midfielders to contain. And then later on, you had Luka Modric, who just, has this calming presence and you know one of these players that doesn't seem like he needs to use a lot of energy because he's so smart in how he moves around the pitch and the way he distributes the ball so it's a bit concerning because first we saw Lazar Samardzic 
kind of dribble through our whole team and score a goal in the Udinese match. Meaningless goal, but still, it happened. Now we see Jude, again, arguably the best player in the world at the moment, doing the same thing. So that's a bit of a concern. Ostergaard a little bit lucky, but again, you know, maybe that's a play that Rachmani makes. I don't know. So yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think you can see why we kind of feel okay with this loss, right? It came down to these few episodes. Maybe this goal was the difference. I want to just talk about, just to close with, some of the individual performances that we saw. The one that really stood out to me, and and I'm curious to know your thoughts on this, whether it was on our play or just the play of Real Madrid, but Rudiger was just, I have never seen a player shut down Osiman. Like, we've seen Osiman get shut down before, but this was almost a domination, and Osiman is not an easy player to mark. Yeah, Rudiger played really well. And it's interesting to note, Alaba and Militao are the starting center backs for Madrid. You know, Rudiger gets a lot of playing time. Madrid play in a lot of competitions. But Nacho and Rudiger are the, the backup center back pairing. But Rudiger is really good at man marking someone. He dug in and stuck to Ozyman. Whenever the ball was at his feet, he was there. He did the same thing to Holland in the Champions League last year. Madrid drew the first leg and Holland didn't score with Rudiger playing at center back, and then Madrid lost 4-1 in the second leg with Rudiger not playing. So he is a, a very good defender. He doesn't offer too, too much going forward, but he really was on a mission tonight to not let Ozyman behind him. And it kind of seemed like Madrid were prepared for the Napoli long ball to Ozyman, and we're not going to give that up. They would allow us to try and build up an attack, but they were not going to let Victor run in behind the defense. And you got to take your hat off to Rudiger doing that. Absolutely. I, I thought I was hugely impressed. And, and most people who watch him play will probably be like, yeah, well, we know this already. The guy's world class, but I just don't watch enough La Liga to know. So, you know, I was impressed. And you're right. He did play very tight. Like even when we played the long ball towards the wings, he would just chase down Victor. And, and the key was that he didn't let him turn, whether that meant clearing the ball, whether that meant fouling him or whatever. He was not going to let Victor turn, which is what you want from, from your defenders, especially when they're marking a player like that. One thing that was also interesting in that Solskjaer analysis was that he pointed out how Napoli played more compact in the second half, and that was the reason he attributed to Napoli being so much better in the second half. And I tend to agree. I think in the first half, we were relying a little bit more on that long ball to Osiman. He was, you know, as we've kind of complained about in previous episodes, he was a little bit too isolated up there. So either he was going to get swarmed by either Nacho or Rudiger or both sometimes, or even if he did get the ball, he didn't really have many options. He'll try to cross from the wing or whatever, and just you're not going to create many quality chances that way. Whereas in the second half, we played more compact and we played the shorter passes a bit more, and we saw how much more in control of that match we were. So what can you do? I, I don't think Osiman was terrible, but again, going back to our point about the substitutions, Maybe the right decision would have been to just replace him with Simeone instead of playing them together and just try to give a, a different look there. The last player I want to comment on, you touched on it earlier, was Matteo Politano. He just destroyed Camavinga on Napoli's right wing. Yeah, it looked like the Madrid scouting report on Politano was that he only uses his left foot and he went to his right foot and flew past Camavinga and sent some good balls in. You know, Politano had a couple tame shots early on, but he was very lively in the first 60, 70 minutes of the match. 
Camavinga is one of six world-class midfielders Madrid have. So they, they use him at left back because he's a lefty. I was a little bit surprised. It was almost disrespectful to Politano, who you know, took it personally and dribbled at him every time um, with pretty decent success. My theory on that was that I think Ancelotti wanted to get one of his veteran midfielders into that midfield three because his preferred midfield is probably, at this point, Valverde, Chouameni, and Camavinga. But if you do that, then Cruz and Modric are both on the bench. So I think the idea was, okay, let me play Camavinga at left back to free up one of those midfield positions for what turned out to be Tony Cruz, which I think was probably the right decision from a midfield standpoint. And we saw him play, I think Camavinga, he has played occasionally at left back. I mean, you would know better than I do. Um, I think he did play against left back against Girona. So maybe that was also a hint to that. Okay, let me play him there to, you know, get him ready to play for Napoli in that position against, uh, you know, a team. Well, I don't know. Girona are actually doing pretty good in La Liga. Yeah, Girona are in first place. (laughs) I was going to say a weaker team, but they're not actually. No, historically a weaker team. And Madrid have a similar left back situation to Napoli. They brought in Fran Garcia, who is an academy player who left and, and came back from Rio Vecano. And they also have Ferland Mendy, who are both okay. Neither, neither have claimed that kind of starting spot. And I agree with you. I think Ancelotti just wanted to get all his best players on the field and figure out position later. They had used, out of necessity, they used Camavinga as a left back last year because everyone else was injured. Was this time, this seemed like tactics, right? It seemed like this is what the, the strategy was. Clearly that part didn't work. Politano was just owning him. He drew a yellow card on Kamavinga. He ended up being replaced by uh, Ferland Mendy around the hour mark, 65th minute, something like that. Actually, one thing we didn't mention when we talked about the penalty kick was, okay, maybe it was fortunate that we were awarded the penalty kick when we were, but there were videos going around on Wednesday showing that Mendy might have actually had a more egregious handball later in the match. This was the play where uh, we saw Natan kind of losing his mind a little bit very late in the match. And what I thought was that he was convinced that we should have been awarded a corner kick because the replay very clearly showed that Mendy was the one who kicked the ball out for a corner. But actually, moments before that, there was from a reverse angle a video that shows that he actually handled the ball quite clearly and, and perhaps Napoli should have been awarded a penalty kick there. So. I don't know how to balance all these things out in terms of lucky versus unlucky, but yeah, we were unlucky that they gave the corner kick to Real Madrid on the third goal. We were probably lucky that we got the penalty kick, but we were also unlucky that we didn't get the other penalty kick. So it was a bit of a, a lot going on there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, this game was pretty even statistically. It'll be interesting to see how the return match in Spain goes. You know, do Napoli take it to Madrid? Or was this the magic of the, the Maradona, what kept, you know, the crowd energy was great. Did that help Napoli? Or is this a team that's going to show up at the Bernabeu and play the same game? Payman sent me a few videos. He was at this match. Uh, a few others were at the match as well. And that Champions League atmosphere was just unbelievable. <laughs> I think a, a couple of things worth noting there was um, during the anthem, Politano put his hand, he cupped his hands around the child's uh, ears in front of him because he knew it was just, this is going to be really loud. Let me protect your ears a little bit when, when the whole stadium yells the champions at the end of the anthem. And 
there was another video with Bellingham who was uh, very cool with one of the youngsters with him as well. So, you know, all together, I, I think what I would say, and maybe we'll close with this point, is that at least for the neutral, this was just a fantastic match all around, great entertainment, and a great advert for Italian clubs who unfortunately don't get a whole lot of attention. Like I was listening to the Guardian Football Weekly, which is kind of my go-to English podcast. So not surprisingly, all they talked about for like the two minutes they allocated to this match was about Jude Bellingham. And they, they gave a few seconds to why we shouldn't have been awarded the penalty kick. But nonetheless, I, I think this was a great advert for Italian clubs and Napoli in particular. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Premier League spends the most money, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's top to bottom the best league. You know, last year, three European finals, three Italian teams. I know they went 0 for 3, but Napoli looks really strong, all Champions League, and they definitely played, you know, up to the opponent's level and didn't Mourinho-style park the bus. They, they really wanted to win this game, and I think they're unlucky not to get a draw, but I think they're disappointed not to get the win. When it was 2-2, they didn't look like, all right, we've got this result against Madrid. They wanted the three points, and I think they still feel they could take the return match in Spain. Yeah, absolutely. It's not going to be easy to win that match in Spain, but I think we saw enough from this match to feel like it's a winnable match. And I mean, despite Real Madrid's record in the league, they do seem a little bit more vulnerable this year. You know, Especially the- France, yeah. They're going to concede. Madrid don't win games one nothing. They win games 3-2 like this. And I don't think, you know, we, we touched on this at the Open, but there's no need to panic. Braga are level on points with us, but we beat Braga. Braga have to go to Madrid next week. We have to go to Berlin. I don't even think it's a must win in Berlin. I think a, a draw against Union would be fine. It would still leave us second in the group, assuming Braga don't pull off the victory. So I don't think there's a moment for panic. I think this is kind of where the, the odds makers would have predicted the group would be after two games anyway. So, Yeah, exactly. And just to, to close off on the point about sort of the English fans, I, I don't think Lens fans are too thrilled either because... Uh, they hosted Arsenal. They won at home. They have an incredible home record. And yet all the English commentary was, how does Arsenal lose to a club like Lens that, that nobody's heard of? So anyways, I don't want to give Lens too much credit either because I've... Yeah, we don't root, you know, for, we don't root for Lens, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. I've made a point that uh, Danzo and I want them to be relegated <laughs> just because of Danzo. I would love to play them in the round of 16. Yeah, let's, well, let's hope that happens. But I guess you know, it depends on who finishes where and the seating and everything. Anyways, then that is all we have time for today. But thank you so much for uh, taking the time to speak with me. Of course. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So you can find Vinny on Twitter at TheRealVinShady. I imagine you made that when you were younger. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You can find me on Twitter at, sorry, on X at Joe underscore Fischetti5. And you can find the podcast on all the usual social media channels at Sports and Napoli Pod. I will be back in a day or two to preview our match on Sunday against Fiorentina. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.